Today on Ag News Daily. Here in the United States and obviously for Iowa being the number one pork producer, uh, that's a very important thing and a strong beef industry here as well. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Madison Honkamp here reporting for the Ag News Daily Podcast. And today I am joined by Delaney Howell. Delaney, how are you doing today? I'm good, Madison. It's going to be just you and I today. We don't need Mike, though. He's off doing his own thing. I'm not really (laughs) even sure what he's doing today. But you and I are on top of things today. What do you know today? What are you working on? Well, you know, I've been searching for so many interviews for this podcast. So if (laughs) we have anybody, any listeners who would love to share, you know, their insights, if they have a company maybe that not a lot of people know about, reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram at Ag News Daily, and we can, you know, be sure to feature you. <laughs> yes, that's true. And you posted yesterday, is today or yesterday Cow Appreciation Day? Yesterday was. Okay, well, happy mm-hmm. belated Cow Appreciation Day to you. Yes, and to you as well. <laughs> Make sure and go out there and pet your cows if you have yes. them, for yes. all our listeners. Definitely do. I know my brother was giving his two show steers a little bit extra love today and yesterday. Good. So well, good. <laughs> show steers, I tell you what, there's some spoiled bunches though. And oh, do you have yours in air conditioning or in, in oh, like heated or fanned rooms? See, we're not, we're not quite to the cooler stage yet. Okay. But they're in the barn with two fans blowing mm-hmm. on them all day, and then they get out at night and are able to run around. Yeah, we had we were the same way. We didn't have them in coolers. We just had them in fans. Mm-hmm. But we had some friends in high school whose family raised show cattle, and they had the cattle in, like, coolers, air conditioning, mm-hmm. etc. Their house didn't even have air conditioning, but the cattle <laughs> did. I mean, sometimes they're just a little bit more important, I guess. Yeah, well, hmm. I thought that was strange. Personally, I guess... If I if I guess if it was really that hot, you could just go sleep out yeah. there with the cattle. Honestly, it would it wouldn't hurt. Well, Madison, since we're talking about animal health and the livelihood of animals, I've got some animal health and nutrition news for our listeners today. It seems that Bayer and Olenko Animal Health may be discussing some possibilities of combining their pet health business to create an industry giant. This is according to three different anonymous sources, of course, but apparently the two companies have been working with their banks to ensure mm-hmm. that a merger would would be approved. They're working to see what assets they may have to get rid of or transition around. But uh, it seems that Elenco's shares rose on news of talks with Bayer by 5% this week, and we will see if that... Uh, if that comes to fruition there, but thought that was an interesting piece of news for today. Yes, that is definitely interesting and something we'll have to keep our eye on. And even another thing that I found today, this is kind of an older article out of Bloomberg um, that I received in my email today, actually. But so Facebook, Google, Apple, and Twitter are all kind of rate they say rating research labs for doctoral candidates and hiring them to study animals really to develop artificial intelligence software and 
brain hmm. computer interfaces. I thought this was really interesting. Obviously, you know, we use mice and various rodents and birds for a lot of medical research, but now they're trying starting to use them for technology research. And even in one case, neuroscientists are actually studying the zebra finches song craft. Um, basically how they're able to sing, I guess is how you would say it, um, and everything. But this was kind of been developed into how Siri can use voice recognition software. So they're going to try and create something specifically for the ag industry using that same AI technology? I They ha didn't really say anything. I just thought it was more of kind of an interesting piece how huh. they were... Um, using animals to develop these soft the oh, software. That is very interesting. Mm -hmm. Maybe we'll see something like that. I don't know what uh, I don't know exactly what you'd need or what you'd develop, <laughs> yeah. but maybe we'll maybe, see something like that come to ag. Yeah, definitely. Maybe it'll be a voice recognition combine, and you can just tell Ooh. it where to go. Ooh, yeah. I like that. I think you're on <laughs> something there. Then you don't have to be in the combine. You can just say, hey, go do this, and it'll go do it. Ah. Oh, that's that's very interesting. <laughs> I, bet, I bet we see something like that roll out. I don't know when, but, you know, if we're starting to look at autonomous combines mm -hmm. and tractors, I bet voice recognition is probably not far behind that. Oh, yeah, definitely not. You might be onto something, Madison. <laughs> but I thought well, that was very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Since we're talking about technology, technology has been obviously one of the issues, specifically technology like like the voice automated or the AI technology has been an issue in the ongoing U.S.-Chinese trade negotiations. But it seems that yesterday on Tuesday, they had a very productive call. House Economic Advisor Larry Kudlow said that they had a very constructive phone conversation on Tuesday, and he's hoping that they will be able to pick right back up where they left off uh, back in the spring when things kind of went by the wayside. And it seems that they're also optimistic that China may indeed follow through on purchasing some, you know, large farm products amid the ongoing trade talks to make good on that. We don't have any confirmation for sure that that will happen, but at least we saw a new round of conversations happening on Tuesday, and we'll see where that continues on but at least they're going well yes definitely hopefully we can get more information about all of that and they can come to kind of a conclusion with those trade talks yes hopefully yeah we can only hope um but in some other trade news um we actually have four senators representing minnesota montana and north dakota they actually sent a letter this week to Greg Dow, the U.S. Um, trade representative's chief agricultural negotiator, asking him to work with Canada to change its so-called variety registration system to expand access for U.S. wheat growers. Um, right now, Canada actually is very strict about which varieties of grain um, that can be included in its premium classes um, so that they are able to kind of get those higher prices. So under USMCA, Canada has agreed to revise its grain grading policies that have effectively branded foreign wheat um, as a low-grade product. Mm -hmm. 
So hopefully we can kind of see a change in that. Yeah, absolutely. And to follow up on that just a little bit. So the way Mm -hmm. it's set up now or pre-USMCA, so under NAFTA Mm -hmm. rules, basically all the grain, all wheat grain came in as labeled as animal feed. So we couldn't access a higher pricing structure from Canada. Mm -hmm. And so they've changed a few things under USMCA, but it sounds like they're wanting to change it even more so to get even higher prices or even better premiums is what it sounds like. Yes. And hopefully we can see this kind of as a win for U.S. wheat growers. But right now, the only varieties that is grown that are grown in the U.S. um, that are considered that premium um, class Mm -hmm. is the Canadian Western Red Spring and Canadian Western Amber Durham. So which we don't grow a lot of here in the U.S., I'm guessing really it's not grown a lot, but it does say there are a few, but it is less than 3%. Mm, okay. So, yeah, mm. they're wanting to, I'm guessing they're just basically wanting to get other varietals than yeah. wheat as part yeah. of that premium structure. Yes. All so right. hopefully wheat can be a little bit more of a bigger trade topic with yes. USMCA. Well, we're seeing a lot of pressure on USMCA. We've seen Vice President Mike Pence put some pressure to get things rolling We've seen lots of disputes in Congress, but it seems overall most people are saying they want to get this signed and done with. Uh, the Trump administration has issued, you know, some final numbers, if you will, um, saying, hey, let's get this done, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, still waiting to see on that as well. Yes, definitely. And I know they were having a lot of issues with that, in the, especially in the House with um, Nancy Pelosi really yes. wanting specifics in the agreement. Yep, I think you're absolutely mm-hmm. right there, Madison. We've seen a lot of the Democrats yeah. or Democratic Party. We've seen some opposition there. Um, but I don't know. Hopefully, We really need a goodwill token here in agriculture. I know. So hopefully we that really gets, uh, gets finished up quickly. Yes. And I know the Trump administration is really pushing it. So that is a good deal. But yes. in others, kind of follow up again on the ERS relocation. Um, they are had to create a new deadline. It is now August 7th instead of August 1st because the NIFA landlord has formally protested the entire search process um, for finding a new location saying that the USDA does not have the authority to conduct to, to excuse me to conduct a real estate search on a large scale required to move the ERS and NIFA. Mm. Um so the NBL Associates is the real estate company that has been the NIFA's landlord for 19 years and they want to be able to participate in the bidding process rather than just the USDA making the decision. Yeah, so it sounds like Kansas City is not a done deal by any means. Yeah, not at all. And just hopefully they can kind of get this one figured out. Yes, let's hopefully get that figured out in a timely manner. We did see uh, some timely things happening finally for folks affected by all of the wet weathers, specifically 
areas affected on the Mississippi River. We've seen basically a 256-mile stretch of the Mississippi River from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, all the way to the Gulf of Mexico, getting a lot of rain this year. And they have seen the government and U.S. soybean, I think it was U.S. Soybean Coalition um, and the United United Soybean Board recently allocated about $2 million to help the replanning, redesigning, and basically fixing that infrastructure there from that 256-mile uh, stretch. They're basically looking to dredge and lower the river right there uh, about five feet in depth, which doesn't sound like a lot, but if you consider how wide those some of those ports are, some of those um, streams are, I think that'll help a lot. And they're hoping to, by about that by doing this, they can further avoid having to close down some stuff here in the future, like we saw here with basically the months of uh, March until really we've seen it closed up until just weeks ago. In some places, they are still closed. So keeping an eye on that there, but it looks like they're trying to get some stuff moving and shaking with getting those problems addressed. Yes, let's let's hope that you can get that stuff moving. Definitely. Let's hope so. Madison, what other news do you have for today? Yeah, Delaney, I am actually all out of news. Okay, well, good. I'm glad you said that because I have <laughs> one fun last piece of news for today. Are you ready for it? Yes, let's hear it. Okay, Madison, are you a um, Burger King visitor? Do you like Burger King? Um, kind of. We don't, I don't know. It's not really, not my typical fast food, but. Okay. It's not my either. But usually when you go to Burger King or if people do go to mm -hmm. Burger King or what do you associate the main food to be at a Burger King restaurant? Well, a burger. Right. Exactly. So Burger King as of <laughs> today or yesterday is launching not a burger, not a new burger, which would make complete sense. Instead, they're launching a crispy taco, a crispy beef taco. I, I mean, that was super strange. I, I guess it's probably to compete with restaurants like Taco Bell, but uh, <laughs> yeah. they've said we've seen success with tacos in our West Coast restaurants, and now we're going to roll it out nationwide. Huh. I mean, tacos have definitely, I've seen them become more popular, I guess, but... That yeah, that's weird for Burger King. Burger King. Yeah, maybe, I think so too. Maybe I'll just have to go try that. I'm I'm I'll <laughs> let you try it. You can report back for us how that tastes. Uh, okay. <laughs> maybe we can just make Mike do it. Yeah, Mike could probably he's volunteer in, to do that. Job. He's, he's in Chicago now. You know, yeah, he's got to find somewhere to eat. That. Yeah. 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 Well, it, okay. He, I like we that. can leave that up to him. We'll <laughs> volunteer him to do that. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, since we're talking about Chicago, we've got to take a look at where the market's closed for today. And of course, Mike is now actually joined up with our partners at the Zaner Group. And you can give them a call today. Mike is there. He can help you out, connecting you with some of the folks that can help you really put together a marketing plan. You can give the Zaner Group a call today at 312-277-0050. Or you can visit them on the web at Zaner, Z-A-N-E-R dot um, and tell him you heard it on Ag News Daily. Looking across the screen today, we saw lots of green in the grain markets, which is probably much needed for producers. In the July corn contract, we finished up two and a half cents to close at 434 and a quarter. The September closed up two and a half to close at 435. In the December new crop contract, 
up two and a quarter to close at 439 and a half. Soybeans were the big winners for today with the July contract closing up 10 and a quarter cent to end at 893. The November up eight and a half to close at 912 and three quarters. In the wheat pits following right along in the rallies there with the July contract putting on two cents for the day to close at 511 and three quarters. The December up a doll, excuse me, up a penny and a quarter to close at 516 and three quarters. Looking over at the livestock markets, of course, when corn has been rallying, the live cattle and feeder cattle markets have been cutting some of their losses. With the August contract today shutting 50 cents to close at 107.62, the December cut 32 and a half, or excuse me, the October cut 32 and a half cents to close at 108.97 and a half. In the feeder cattle pits, the August front month contract shed 52 and a half cents to end the day at 142.35. September cut 27.5 cents to end at 142.85. In the lean hog pits, some strength in the deferred contracts with the July contract putting on just 37.5 cents to close at 71.75, but the August putting on $2.65 to close at 81.72 and a half. And rounding out our day with the Dairy Class 3 Milk Futures, go get some ice cream, folks. It's the middle of summer. Let's support those folks out in the dairy country. July Class 3 Milk Futures closed down a penny to end at 17.37. August shed three cents to close at 17.78. For today's interview, we have our field reporter, Bruce Gorder, chatting with Dr. Sam Funk, who is the new director of research for Iowa Farm Bureau. And he's got a lot to say about some upcoming things going on in the ag industry that you want to stay informed on this summer. The Iowa Farm Bureau Federation recently held their annual economic summit. Got a chance to talk with Dr. Sam Funk. He is the new director of research and ag analytics with the Iowa Farm Bureau. And he says it was a big success. We had a tremendous uh, a tremendous uh, audience participation out through here. And, you know, really when you start to think about some of the premier uh, events across the nation to bring in outstanding leaders to talk about agriculture opportunities and the economic conditions which are prevalent across, in this case, Iowa, but that are uh, germane to a lot of people across the United States, we did draw a very large crowd. We had over 200 in attendance, and it was just an excellent day with a lot of information for people to look at these challenging times and what the opportunities that are ahead for them. Talk about some of the uh, the good speakers that you brought in from around the country, Sam. You know, it just a tremendous, I mean, starts probably from the beginning with uh, Governor Kim Reynolds being able to come in here to greet the uh, the audience out through here, and she was just a tremendous uh, and very encouraging uh, leader to be with us to, to give us some information and insights as to what's going on here in Iowa. And then we had President Hill from the Iowa Farm Bureau uh, give a greeting, kind of outline some of the state of Iowa agriculture, if you will, and then had... Uh, Everything from internal uh, affiliated uh, people coming in, like Charlie Happel, who's the chief investment officer from the Farm Bureau Life FBL Financial Group, coming in here, and uh, Jim Knuth from Farm Credit Services, and then you get some of these, you know, just tremendous leading speakers. We had uh, just some wonderful people coming in with uh, Deb Baller, who's the chief information officer from Cargill Protein and Salt. Deb was instrumental in the honeysuckle white turkey uh, aspect of using blockchain and a scannable tag on honeysuckle white turkeys from Cargill 
to be able to look at which farm those turkeys were raised on and, and those who bought those honeysuckle white turkeys at Thanksgiving were able to see where that turkey uh, was raised and to meet the farmer behind that turkey. And uh, I think that's one of the important aspects is where technology can take us and, and how it links up farmers with consumers as well. Um, but just, uh, you know, a full day worth of Dr. Alan Gray coming in. Uh, he's uh, with the Center for Food and Agricultural Business at Purdue University, the Land of Lakes Endowed Chair there, uh, to talk about managing with technology in, in a trade challenge world when you've really got to think that in, in this time of tight margins, you have to innovate and you have to be an adopter of technology in order to survive no matter what you do because as the agricultural economy changes, we have to change right along with it. Yeah, that is uh, certainly true about change in agriculture. What about the export market? Uh, who did you have come in and talk about exports? John Henners, who came in from the U.S. Meat Export Federation to talk about uh, those red meats and the opportunities that we have for exporting red meats across the globe uh, from here in the United States and obviously for Iowa being the number one pork producer, uh, that's a very important thing, and a strong beef industry here as well. And then from the U.S. Soybean Export Council, we had Mr. Ed Beeman join us. And so obviously we think about soybeans and how uh, a large portion of soybeans are really dependent upon having a global marketplace to move more of that crop. It's, it's really a, a big challenge and a big task to be able to represent U.S. soy across the globe. And Ed provided us those uh, opportunities out through there, and we're looking for a unified strategy to go forward with the soybean industry as well. Well, you, you mentioned uh, exports and, and trade and all these different uh, crops, and, and boy, every com just about every commodity that's grown here in the Midwest is dependent on the export markets, and, and I imagine you've got a lot of discussion on what's going on export-wise, and, and there's some pluses, there's some, some minuses, and there's a lot of uncertainty going on right now. So uh, how do you juggle all that? Well, you know, there are a lot of uh, pluses and minuses going on. Part of that aspect for on the farm is to keep informed of the issues that are out through there. One of the great things that we have uh, available to us uh, through Farm Bureau, the Spokesman and the Spokesman Speaks podcast that are available. You know, the Spokesman Speaks podcast, you can download that one off of, you know, your favorite to your favorite app for uh, having podcasts on your mobile phone with either Android or iPhone. But the Spokesman Speaks podcast is a great way to see more information as we're going to follow up with more and more information from this economic summit to provide people more uh, ability to take that information in usable formats and to provide that into that strategic thinking for your individual operation. What might be the challenge with the soybeans? What might you be able to do to take that information and compare, uh, you know, corn versus soybeans versus an alternative crop? And what might be available with industrial hemp even potentially in the years to come you know part of that important aspect also in thinking about you know some of the trade disruptions and obviously we've had these market facilitation payments the mfp payments that have come out we've had a lot of focus on that and at the economic summit we actually had the farm service agency administrator coming up over here from dc and that's mr richard fordyce and richard fordyce presented us a lot of information on when we can expect to see in uh uh, USDA moving on those market facilitation payments and also what we can expect as far as for timing and some of the programs that are coming from the last farm bill. Since so much of the farm bill is going to be coming through the Farm Service Agency and impacting our farms here in Iowa and beyond, it was a great time to be able to have Richard 
share with us some of those aspects. And obviously, it's not just with the Farm Service Agency. There's going to be a lot of things with the Risk Management Agency as well. But one of the great things about this, having uh, Administrator Fordyce with us, he obviously introduced some of the state and the regional staff here who are going to be representing a lot of these programs around here. And it's so wonderful to be able to have such a wealth of information and knowledge and, if you will, information resources that we can draw on from later as well. And all of these uh, producers who were present were able to hear from uh, these people and know where they can turn to for the next batch of information, including a reference to farmers.gov, which is USDA website out there to provide more information on federal farm programs. And that's such an important way that we have access to timely, relevant information. And so coming in with a website there is just a great uh, opportunity to share more information. And I'm sure, Sam, that uh, everyone's thoughts at the summit are, are with the folks that have been uh, so hard hit by the devastating floods throughout the Midwest, and, and that is an ongoing problem that's going to affect the economy uh, of agriculture, especially those hardest hit, but it's going to affect the economy overall, I would imagine. Well, if you think about agriculture for the state of Iowa, agriculture is an economic driver for this state, and a lot of the other industries and services uh, have a bedrock, if you will, from agriculture, where they draw from that wealth creation, um, having a soil, healthy soil and uh, healthy water, and, and in this case, uh, more abundant water than what we wanted in some cases with the flooding. But we recognize those challenges and this wet spring out through here, and we look for those opportunities in the future. Some of these local communities really depend upon agriculture and those farm families who are present to be able to provide that um, that basic wealth creation and to bring in dollars through the economy that, if you will, has an economic multiplier effect that they, they um, in turn provide uh, resources for local uh, retail and commercial uh, operations. And so when you think about the loss of economic activity through floods and through some of these what could be shorter crops than what some people are expecting out there because of not just prevented planting but also from some yield implications with such a wet spring, it could be a difficult challenge for a lot of people moving forward, and we understand that. And that's part of the reason we want to talk about these market facilitation payments. We want to talk a little bit about prevented planning at this event and really look forward to where can we go from here and what are those opportunities moving forward to help define that um, that bright light, which is an opportunity uh, beyond some of these dark dark skies, which have clouded this spring. Well, uh, Sam, there's just so much going on in the agriculture business. There always is, but right now it, a lot of things on people's minds and, and folks like Farm Bureau, the Iowa Farm Bureau, and the, and the American Farm Bureau Federation, along with all the commodity groups, do a great job of trying to keep folks informed, and uh, that's that's what they need to do. They need to be part of the organizations and, and keep uh, keep the information flow coming. Well, and absolutely. I mean, if you think about the Iowa Farm Bureau Federation, we represent those members at their county level who surface material and information and policy ideas at the grassroots level, and they come in through the counties up into the state office and, and go from here on into uh, federal levels if that's where that policy is meant to go. So, But there's a lot of impact at the county level and at the state level and like you say, going on through the American Farm Bureau Federation at the national level. But having that representation to be able to take these, uh, these grassroots uh, information feedback, membership is key 
through here because it's through our members we're able to get that information and to represent them as a unified body going forward and to take those policy impacts uh, to the state and at other levels. So it, it is a really a, a, a membership-driven organization and those ideas and, and the leadership coming from, from those grassroots members. And it's just a, a wonderful opportunity to be able to provide them the services and the information that they can utilize back in their operation, and we depend on the members to help us to do our job and provide them more value. Our thanks to Dr. Sam Funk, the Director of Research and Ag Analytics for the Iowa Farm Bureau Federation. For Ag News Daily, I'm Bruce Gorder. All right, well, then, again, a big thank you to Bruce there for putting together that story for us. I'm going to share it again here. I don't think it's gets said enough, but folks, if you ever wanted to try your hand at broadcasting or field reporting we'd be happy to have you you can reach out to us on facebook and on twitter at ag news daily or you can reach out to us on instagram i know madison checks that very frequently she's doing a great job there but also just follow along with us on social media as well or if you've got pictures you want to share i'm sure madison would love to get them isn't that right madison Oh, yes. Please send us, you know, pictures. Um, I've been going out and taking lots for our Instagram, but we want to see, you know, what our listeners are doing, how you're contributing to the industry, you know, what you do on your operation or what you do during your daily life. Let's see it and let we can share it. Absolutely. Great plug. Love it, Madison. <laughs> With that, uh, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.